San Diego. I'm uh, so sorry to not get to be with you today, but uh, I cannot wait to be with you next week in our Christmas Connection series. We're going to be looking at the genealogy of grace, and I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss it, but I am so glad you were at church today because today one of my great friends and an amazing Bible teacher, Pastor John Chubik, is here. He is the missions director at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, and we served together in Eastern Europe for many years. And God has used him to just speak so much into my life. And today he is going to continue our Christmas Connection series in looking at prophecy as it relates to the first coming of Jesus. So buckle up, you guys are going to have a great time. And let's all give a big warm welcome to Pastor John Chubik. Wow, thank you guys so much. And uh, I love your pastor really, really a lot. And uh, I'm sure you all know it by now. You guys have a great pastor and Pastor Phil. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just a wonderful privilege uh, to be with you here this morning and, and also a w very exciting, right, to be starting off the Christmas season. You know, Christmas, it, you know, no matter what the world says or, or, you know, all the people that are trying to sell us stuff and all these other things, right, Christmas it's a holiday for Christians, right? We celebrate our Lord, our Savior. And so uh, what a wonderful privilege to um, this morning uh, kind of start off. Uh, I know Pastor Phil, uh, each of the Sundays before Christmas, he's kind of leading up with Christmas messages. And, and this morning, uh, he asked me if I would kind of look at Christmas in the Old Testament. So that's what we're going to do. And so um, we could go ahead and open our Bibles uh, to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> and uh, as you do that, I just want to uh, say very quickly, you know, it's really super, super easy to preach about Christmas out of the Old Testament. Um, there are about 457 prophecies of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. From beginning to end, it's speaking about him and speaking about when he would come and how he would come and what he would do when he would come. And so uh, we don't normally do this. There are kind of more traditional, maybe New Testament passages that we look at, but I think you're gonna recognize all the ones we're in today. And I think it'll be just kind of fun to uh, go through the Old Testament together on this. But let's pray before we get started. Yeah, Father, just thank you for your great and precious gift of Jesus Christ. Lord, we, we just thank you that we can gather in your name today, Lord, and we can open our hearts and open your word and just allow you to speak to us. Lord, we're going to hear from you today through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit because you love us, because you care because you're just so deeply involved in our lives and the lives of those that we love and, and you are working. Lord, you've always been working and you're working right now and Lord, you're gonna work in great and wonderful ways through this Christmas season. So Lord, we just commit our time to you and ask you to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, um, so our plan of attack this morning, we're gonna just look at four, as I said, very familiar Old Testament passages 
that really kind of give us the Christmas story. And uh, the first one is right here in Genesis. And, and maybe um, I'm sure most of you know that Christmas, actually the whole reason for Christmas is a problem, right? Christmas starts with a problem. And it's actually the great problem of all men and women that live on planet Earth. And I'm going to go ahead and read um, in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 15, and then we're going to dig in a little bit in verse 15. So you can follow along with me or, or um, just listen, if you will. So chapter, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, The woman you gave to me to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And so the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and so here right at the beginning of our bibles right in genesis chapter 3 everything has been going great you know god created the world he created man he created woman perfectly and put him in this amazing garden and and it was a place of blessing and of just open and, and unrestricted fellowship with God. They talked to him. You know, he would walk in the garden and, and they would have the opportunity to, to walk with God and talk with God. Can you imagine how amazing that time must have been? But then, right, something happened and we just read it, right? The devil in the form of a serpent was there. And there was one rule, one restriction on life in the garden. You know, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And yet, in a moment of kind of weakness, um, they were tempted and they fell in that temptation. 
And I'm sure they had no idea, no imagination, the result of that sin and what that would bring in, right? It, it happened as the result of a lie, of probably some pride, disobedience, um, and then the result is broken relationship with God. And then the virus, if you will, the spiritual virus of sin would now infect all the human race forever, you know? And, and as it, every man and woman that would be born on this earth would be born with that susceptibility, with that virus of sin lying inside, you know, just kind of waiting to spring out as life went on. And so there's a huge, huge problem. And, and it's a problem unsolvable by man. And, and you know, all of human history it has been seeking to deal with this problem. You know, all the religions of man, all the philosophies of man that have ever been invented, you know, have been seeking to undo or explain the answer to the damage that was caused by sin in the human life and in humanity. And there's been no human solution that's ever been found and no human solution ever could be found or ever would be found. Because we, we're all infected by the disease, we have no ability to bring the cure for the disease. And yet in this problem, in this great day of darkness here in the garden, yet God gives a promise. And we see it in chapter 3 and verse 15. And, and his judgment kind of goes on to the end of the chapter, but verse 15 is what we want to look closely at this morning. As he is kind of speaking of the judgment to the serpent, he's speaking to the devil. And he says, and I will put enmity or hostility you know, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's a great problem. Humanity would never be the same again because of what happened of, as a result of that sin. And yet God does not leave his people hopeless in that day. He doesn't just walk away from Adam and Eve. He gives them a promise, and it's a promise that belongs also to us and that we would reap the benefits of and, and all who would put their trust in, in the answer that would be as a result of this promise. So he tells uh, Eve that or the serpent that there'll be this enmity, this hostility between him and the woman and between his seed, the serpent seed, his descendants, and the descendant of the woman. What does that mean? You know, there would be a child that would be born of woman without the help of a, of a human man. He, born of a virgin, and we'll get to that in just a moment. And he would crush the serpent's head. And, and the serpent would bruise his heel. Yes, there would be damage inflicted. There would be pain inflicted upon this one. But he would be the one who would, be, who would turn it around, who would be the victor, who would crush Satan. And of course, the New Testament confirms this to us. 
in, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, it tells us, for this reason was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So there would be a savior, a redeemer, a champion who would crush the devil. And, and so here is this promise. And to me, it's kind of such an interesting thing, right? As we read, Eve was the one who kind of went a little soft first in the face of the temptation. She was the one that kind of was drawn to the apple. She took it first and ate it and, and, and gave it to her husband. And you know, women have been given a bad time ever since, haven't they? But I, I think it's kind of a bum rap in a way because um, what also happens? Well, the promise is that through a woman would come the savior, the victor. So isn't it interesting? You know, the one that was tempted, the one who kind of fell first, also becomes the one who would be part of bringing God's answer into the equation. And you know, dear friends, what a wonderful application for us. Have we failed in some situation that has brought damage into the life of others? You know, sometimes it happens. It happens in a friendship or in a relationship or in a family, right? Maybe we blew it and, and we blew it and it's so bad, we, it's hard for us to even kind of think that God could use us in that context. But dear friends, maybe that's exactly what God wants to do. Maybe God wants to use you, exactly you, who was kind of caught in the temptation, did the thing that shouldn't be done, but now the Lord would call you to be his instrument, the one that he wants to use to bring blessing where there was trouble, bring life where there was death. And so don't be discouraged today. You know, if you've done something and the results have, have been bad in the lives of others, believe God. Believe the God who spoke this promise to Eve and, and spoke about the woman, the virgin, that would bear the deliverer, the savior. And, and the promise was given, right? And, and she, she would be part of the answer for which she was part of the problem. God wants you to be part of his answer today. Believe that, receive that, believe him for it and allow him, maybe even during this Christmas season, to be his mouthpiece, his instrument for good and for truth and, and to bring Jesus into that situation. So anyway, here's the beginning of our Christmas story. It's a problem and a promise. It's a problem that makes Christmas necessary. And there's a promise that is given in the face of the problem that God is gonna do something about it. Okay, well, let's uh, look at another passage. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter nine. So we've seen the problem and we've had a promise, but now let's learn a little bit about the person that is being spoken of, right? There's one that's going to crush Satan's head. And in Isaiah chapter nine and verses six and seven, we kind of learn who he is and who he is like and what he is going to do. Isaiah chapter nine and verses six and seven, our second Old Testament Christmas verse this morning. Very familiar. 
but Isaiah chapter 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know, what is happening here is um, if you read the book of Isaiah or if you read many of the prophetic books that have prophecies about the coming of Jesus, you know, prophecy is kind of an interesting thing. The prophet himself is, is in the context of his times, right? He's living in a particular place, in a particular time, with a particular government situation over him. And so it was for Isaiah. You know, he was living in Judah. He was living about 750 years BC as we are looking at these promises here. And there had been a series of not good kings and, and not good kings over the nation of Israel as well. And things are not going well politically, and they're going to get worse as times come. But even in the midst of all this political turmoil, of living in a country filled with sin and rebellion against God and all of its issues, God is speaking. God, is, God has not abandoned his people or his promise. And so in the context of political turmoil and all these things, God speaks. And he gives one of the most wonderful promises in all the Bible, right? It's a promise of a son, that's a child that's going to be born and a son that's going to be given for the nation and, and for all people of all times. And in verse six, it kind of tells us who he is. It describes his person, his character. And what do we learn? Well, he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And as we read these titles, we understand not only is he an amazing person, he is actually going to be God in the flesh, God in human flesh. It's a child that's going to be born. It's, he'll, he'll be human, a son, who's going to be given. But as we look at the titles, there's no question that this, this baby will also be very God himself, God the Son. He's the mighty God. That title is used in the next chapter, Isaiah chapter 10, in verses 20 and 21 uh, of Jehovah, uh, God Almighty. And uh, if you just look over there, you'll see... Um, um, in verse 20, uh, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such have, has escaped of the house of Jacob will never again depend on him who defeated him, but will depend on the Lord. Maybe that's in all capitals in your Bible. If it is, that signifies that it's the translation of the word Yahweh, right? The name of God, Jehovah himself, the Holy One of Israel in truth. The remnant will return. The remnant of Jacob, verse 21, 
to the mighty God. Mighty God is the Hebrew phrase El Gabor, and it's exactly the same one that is used in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, to describe this child that would be given. He will be God the Son, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In verse 7, it tells us some of what he will accomplish, what he will do, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The work that Jesus would accomplish will be an eternal work. What Jesus will do, the effects of it, the results of it, will have no ending. And he, of course, will be the Messiah. He will be upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward, even forever. Again, that eternal aspect of what Jesus would accomplish. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You know, and, and um, of course, we know about this son. We know about this child that would be born. We hear of him again in the pages of the New Testament in John chapter 3 and verse 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is the son, the son of Isaiah chapter nine and verse six and seven is the son of John chapter three and verse 16. He so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the promise of the one who would come in Genesis chapter three. It, now we, the details are being filled out as we come to Isaiah chapter nine and verse six. We learn that he's gonna be born as a child, but he's going to be the son of God, the Messiah of Israel. And he's going to accomplish a work that will change everything and change it forever, eternally. Hallelujah. Well, let's look at another picture, okay, and uh, let's turn to Micah, Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Here another prophecy, very familiar to us at Christmas time. And in Micah 5, verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forths have been of old, from everlasting. And, and uh, that phrase, from everlasting, actually means from the days of eternity. And so here... God is, again, giving us more information, filling in more of the picture of the promise of the one who would come. That starting way back in Genesis chapter 3, 15, we've looked in Isaiah, we know who he is, we know the person that is going to come, and now we see it is part of a plan of God. God now is being very specific and where this Messiah, the Savior, would be born. It's going to be in kind of an unimportant city in Judah, the city of Bethlehem. 
kind of, uh, he, he even has to add a second title to it so we would know what Bethlehem he's talking about because there were other ones. So Bethlehem Ephratah. And though you are little among the thousands of Judah, you know, you're not a very important little village or town, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, the Savior, the Son of God, the, the one who will crush the serpent's head is going to be born in kind of an unimportant little village called Bethlehem. But his goings forth have been of old, even from everlasting. You see, as God is working his work of salvation, it is all according to a great and precious plan that, that existed before the foundations of the earth. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8, it tells us of Jesus that he was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. God was not shocked by what happened in the garden. God was not shocked by a family whose life and peace was damaged by sin, that someone was tempted and someone fell and that the consequences would pour over what seemed like a perfect family. That didn't cause God to give up or, or walk away from that family. No, God saw it. God knew what men and women would be like, and God knew the troubles and the temptations that we would fall into. And before he ever created the world, God not only foresaw the problem, but he foresaw the need to save. He foresaw the need for a savior because God is love, right? God saw us before we ever existed and he loved us even at that time. And, and before the whole thing started, God had a plan, a plan of salvation, a plan of redemption, a plan that would cover all of humanity, but a plan that would touch me that would touch you, a plan for you, your family, your loved ones, that he might become the Lord of your lives, the Lord of your family, and where there's been damage and destruction, where people have fallen into temptation and invited great destruction upon themselves, God has a plan. And it, it involves his son, Jesus. And, and it involves Jesus taking the consequences upon himself that we might be set free. And you know, dear friends, today, maybe you're in a hard place and there is some difficult thing that just seems too overwhelming to even think about. Maybe you came to church today just to not have to think about that thing for an hour or two. But dear friends, I just am saying to you in the name of Jesus, God has a plan. God has a plan. There's no situation so dark, so hopeless, so overwhelming that God cannot help, that God cannot this day begin to work and change things, right? He, the Bible tells us he is that very present help in time of need. And it was true in the garden. It's been true through all of history. Dear friends, it's true today. And that's the, you know, that is part of what we celebrate in Christmas, isn't it? A world hopeless, in darkness, lost, in rebellion, that had believed 
lies and fallen into the trap of Satan. But God's love, greater. God's promise, stronger. God's abilities with no limit. And God had a plan. And so, dear friends, you, you know, maybe you're just at the, the start of whatever trouble has landed in your lap. Believe God. Walk with God. You know, the same God that sent Jesus Christ to save the world from its sins is the same God who loves you and has adopted you into his family and desires to be the answer to whatever is going on. God has a plan. And so, um, and, and you know, again, something of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, right? Jesus is so amazing. We just saw in Isaiah chapter nine, right? That everything that Jesus would do is forever, is for all eternity. You know, that the things that he would accomplish would go on out into eternity. And here we read, right, that Jesus has come from eternity, that before the foundation of the earth was laid, you know, Jesus was already the answer to the problems that men and women would have. God, he, he already was there through all eternity. And so Jesus is that person where eternity past and eternity future meet in him. They meet in him. You know, what, whatever was before, Jesus was there. You know, and, and God foresaw him as, as the center of his great plan for men and women. Whatever's in the future, heaven, the glory of God, streets of gold, all the wonders of that, you know, Jesus will be there right in the center. And, and Jesus is that one where eternity past, eternity, eternity future meet, and they meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, he's, he is the unique person of all human history, right? How wondrous that he's our Jesus. How wondrous that he loves us today. Well, the fourth little passage I would like to look at, and it's not a little one, actually, it's a major one, is um, talking about the gift of God, right? At Christmas time, we think of gifts and giving and presents. And of course, it, that all comes back to the great gift that God gave humanity. And through time and our celebrations, our human celebrations of Christmas, yeah, we, we celebrate by giving gifts to one another. But it all has its roots in the great gift that was given for you and me. The great gift that was given to lost men and women. And we read of that great gift in Isaiah chapter 53. What was the gift that God gave? It was the gift of his son. And so turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. And you know, it's interesting. Uh, Isaiah 53 is the passage of the Old Testament that is quoted more than any other in the New Testament. The New Testament writers look back more and more to Isaiah 53, more to Isaiah 53 than any other place in the Old Testament because it gives us that complete description of the gift of God and, and it, what it means for you and what it means for me. 
And it's one of the most precious passages in our Bibles. And we find it here in Isaiah 53. We, we don't have time to get into all of it, but I'll read two main chunks of it that I think will point out uh, the points that we want to look at. In Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 1, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Jesus, the child that would be given, the son that would be born in, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Now some chapters later in Isaiah, we see the great gift that that child would bring to lost men and women. He would bring the gift of himself as an exchange, as a sacrifice for our sins. You know, every wrong thing that you have ever done, every wrong thing that I have ever done, uh, every evil temptation that we have ever fallen into at the beckoning of Satan, every sin we ran into because of our own lusts and wrong desires, you know, all of those things that would separate us from God eternally, a holy, just, perfect, righteous God, you know, who, who dwells in light that no man can approach unto, you know, he cannot uh, allow sin and rebellion and wickedness to, to dwell in his presence. So our sins separated us from God. Just like in the garden, everything changed through Adam and Eve's sin. So in our lives, our sin is our great problem. But God gave a gift, and it's the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, who would come, who would raise his hand and just say, you know, John, just pile your sins upon me. Every evil thing that you have ever done, every wicked lie you've ever told, every terrible thing that you have done, you know, just those things, place them on me, and I'll pay for them. I will pay for it all. And, and, and not just yours, but the sins, the Bible tells us, of the whole world. And notice, please, the emphasis in Isaiah chapter 53. If, if you read it through, you see it's this great exchange. Yeah, as we read in verses 4 and 5, he bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace 
was upon him, and it's by his stripes that we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, verse, the end of verse 6, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What is the great gift of Christmas? Is the gift of Jesus as the sin bearer of all humanity, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Maybe even today, you're, you feel the weight of sin. Maybe you're a Christian, but you have blown it. And, and you feel that separation, that condemnation that has come into your life because of sin. And, and maybe something even happened. You know, Thanksgiving is interesting. We rejoice in Thanksgiving, but in Thanksgiving, families get together. You have saved, unsaved, mixed company. So often, stuff happens over Thanksgiving. And, and there's conversations that go directions we don't want them to go. And instead of everybody leaving happy and blessed, sometimes it's not so much. But you know, God has a solution. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he renews us. He can fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit. And, and then instead of being part of the problem, again, we can be part of his answer wherever we walk. In our, in our lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our homes, in our workplace. You know, we can live as people who have received the great gift of God, his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can live as people redeemed and adopted into the family of God who now serve him, who are his ambassadors of peace and of love and of goodness, of his character and kindness. And what we have received, right? God wants to flow through us into the lives of others. It's how God works. There was Saul of Tarsus, that great persecutor of Christians and, and causer of trouble in the lives of thousands, he met Jesus. He met this Jesus of, of Isaiah chapter 53. And his sins were laid upon the Lamb of God. And, and Paul became Paul. He was transformed into a new man, a redeemed man, a saved man. And he became an instrument of God who would lead thousands and thousands to Christ. And, and so God is in the miracle business and Christmas is a miracle season, but it's the miracle of salvation. It's the miracle of God's great gift, right? That should really carry our hearts through these days. Don't get ripped off as we enter into the Christmas season, thinking that it's about uh, stuff you buy or expectations of what you have to do for others in the terms of gifts or this thing or that thing. The great story of Christmas is right here in your Old Testament, right? It's the story of the Lamb of God. You know, that little lamb born in the manger who grew up and became the lamb sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. And you know, dear friends, every time we go to that story, we find hope, we find peace. The love of God confirmed to us, to our loved ones, even the most lost person in your family,
This is their Christmas story. This is the story God wrote for them in the blood of his son. And it's just waiting. It's a gift waiting to be received. Wouldn't it be wonderful if this Christmas season became a season of, of ones opening their hearts and opening their hands to God's great gift, that life-transforming gift of Jesus Christ? Well, let's pray. Yeah, Father, we just thank you so much for your great gift to us, Lord. We've just, for a few minutes, we've looked in the pages of your book and, and we have just seen, Lord, you have given us promises, exceeding great and precious promises. And Lord, these promises, they've, they've been true for thousands of years, but they're true right now in 2019. And Lord, we just ask you, Lord, open our hearts and open our eyes to see and receive what we have in you. Lord, if any of us are depressed, if any of us are, are thinking about what we don't have or what we're missing or how others have things we don't or others, Lord, would you just give us grace to lift our eyes off ourselves and turn them to Jesus. Lord, would you just turn our eyes that we might see that great and precious gift who loved us so much that he went to the cross for us, Lord. May this Christmas season be, be his season, Lord, in our hearts and in our minds and in our families. Lord, we just offer ourselves to you, Lord, to, to just be your ambassadors this Christmas season. May we be ones that just shine forth your light and your love wherever we go. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope and pray that the ministry of Calvary San Diego is strengthening and encouraging you in your faith. To follow along with what God is doing here at Calvary SD, we encourage you to download our app. Also, if you would like to invest in the ministry of Calvary San Diego, you can financially partner with us by visiting our website at calvarysd.com give. Thank you so much and have a great day.